Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 56th episode of My on Mondays. Today's episode is a continuation of our Disappearing World series. My guest is Woody Collins, otherwise known as Captain Woody, or to me, my Uncle Woody. Though I love him just the same, Woody isn't actually my uncle, at least not biologically. Rather, he and my father share a friendship that goes back to their youth. He's one of the most interesting people I know, as well as one of my favorites. In 2020, Woody published a book called Where Have All the Shrimp Boats Gone? A 100-Year History of the Shrimping Industry in the South Carolina Low Country. In our conversation, Woody, a lifelong South Carolinian and professional shrimper himself, talks about bygone days of the Low Country and how the idea for the book came about. Tell me a little bit about the area that you grew up in. I mean, it's obviously a big part of your life. and I was raised in Beaufort. And I say Beaufort, that includes Port Royal, that includes Paris Island. Port Royal, of course, being a fishing community at that time, over the years in my youth, you know, we met other fishermen's children mm-hmm. that were our, our age. Yeah. And we'd always go down to the dock and play. Okay. And above and beyond any of that, we were very river-oriented kids. Well, I mean, just the area in general, it's such a, it's, it feels to me like culture really just revolves around the water there. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and especially in the earlier days, and especially, especially, especially before we became young men and had cars and discovered girls and mm-hmm. all of that. I mean, that the river continued, but our earliest years, our playground was as much as possible the river. Yeah. And every time school was out, we'd be going down the river to camp on some of these islands. I mean, it was a given. Every Thanksgiving, every every time school was out for a couple of days, we went down the river. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the, the main subject of the interview is, um, you know, you wrote a whole book on shrimp boats. And... Um, so I guess my first question is, how did you get into shrimping? What, how did you get your start there? Because your, your parents had no involvement with that sort of thing, right? Right. Now, like I said, Port Royal, going to Port Royal School, some of the kids in the schools, fathers were shrimpers. And um, through associating with them, we would go out on their father's boats sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was a very common thing in Beaufort to go out on a shrimp boat 
we're talking about in the 1950s. Yeah. You could, you know, any any kid that wanted to could. He he either had an uncle that shrimped, a cousin, or somebody in his family that, you know, a neighbor or whoever. And it was mostly young boys, unless it was a fisherman's daughter, and he knew it wasn't going to be gone long. It was mostly young boy. Any young boy in Buford could have the opportunity to go out on one of these boats for the day. Mm-hmm. If you showed an interest you would have, and had potential as a deckhand, you would be noticed. Yeah. How it happened with me is very typical for people whose fathers did not own boats, that became, but, but they became fishermen was you'd go out on the boat and you would wind up helping some doing the most menial things. Yeah. You know, menial. You always had to stay out of the way and all. And if you did okay, little by little, you could go out and start learning how to do something worthwhile. I mean, just like the most menial thing is picking up the shrimp. Mm -hmm. But if you picked them up and you didn't get bit by crabs, he didn't step on a catfish and just be a pain in the butt in general, <laughs> the time would come when you would wind up getting a job on one of these boats because they always needed help because yeah. the number of boats was increasing. Let's just say 1955 in Port Royal, there were probably a dozen boats. Mm -hmm. 1980, there were probably three dozen boats. So that's yeah. that's a lot more opportunity. Plus, even if we weren't out on the boats as kids, we'd go down to the docks and we'd fish off the docks. Mm -hmm. And then a boat would come in and you'd say, Captain Tony, can I fish off your boat? And he'd say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. That's don't great. don't do this or don't, you know, don't leave any bait, don't leave your hooks here, don't leave bait, whatever. Yeah. And just, just through association, here again, they could see you and get to know you and how you reacted. Mm -hmm. And um, consciously or unconsciously, they'd be sizing you up for deckhand potential. Mm -hmm. So that's how a whole lot of Beaufort boys came into shrimping. Yeah. You eventually kept shrimping until how old were you when you... I think I must have been about 65 when I finally quit. Yeah. And you, so you had your own shrimping boat and, and all of that. And that was your... I had five different shrimp boats Oh, okay. ownership-wise in my career, and that was the industry average for South Carolina. Now, prior to all of that, I worked on other boats, and then I started running boats, being the captain mm, okay. on someone else's boat. And I don't know how many years I did that, 10, 12, 15, I just don't even remember. Okay. Aside from this being a, a huge part of your life, why did you feel compelled to write the book? I like history. You know, yeah. Buford's dripping in history. Yeah. I have been a lover of history since about the 10th grade in high school. I had a good history teacher. Mm -hmm. And he kind of made it interesting. And plus the fact that we just had so much history in Buford, you couldn't help but become aware of it. Yeah. And I would read local history. And that's mainly what I read most of my life. Oh, well on into a senior adulthood. In fact, I still do that. I just bought a book not long ago, another book about some local history. But nonetheless, I saw the shrimping industry changing. I saw men, all of us were getting older. The ones that were older when I was younger were, were out of it and gone. 
a lot of the boats, I saw them changing. I saw them getting older. I saw them getting bigger. I saw, I saw everything in the industry that continued its change because I was, I was a part of it. I witnessed yeah. it. And because of my love of history and this thing changing so fast, I felt like someone needed to capture this history because we could be out shrimping and get on the radio and, and somebody's talking about anything in the world. Somebody said, well, old Captain so-and-so told me that the reason that hang is there is that such and such a boat went down there and that's the engine block. That's what, mm. that's why you keep hanging up and tearing your net up. There's the engine block from mm. the old so-and-so. I realized that a whole lot of us fishermen knew little stories, but we didn't know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Now, the guys I started fishing with, Captain Tony Vukas, he was one of our very first shrimpers here. I mean, at the dawn of shrimping, mm-hmm. all of these old guys that I shrimped around and worked for, I never even thought about asking them, what it was like in their earliest days, how they got started and this, that, and the other, you know? Because I didn't look at them as walking history books. I looked at them as fishermen. But anyhow, so I felt that somebody needed to capture this history. Yeah. And I I wanted to see it done on a local level. So for about two years, anytime I'd see one of our local writers, I'd hit them up and say, hey, Somebody needs to write about the shrimping industry. It's dying. It's changing. I said, you know, isn't it something that would interest you? And invariably, they'd say, you know, I'm already working on another book or something. Yeah. So for two years, I tried to find somebody interested in doing this. I wasn't having any luck. And then at an oyster roast, an attorney friend of mine, Scott Graber, he's an attorney, but he had written a couple of uh, novels. That was a Sunday Monday morning, Scott called and said, Woody, he says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm interested in what you were talking about, about that shrimping history. He said, let's get together and talk about it. I said, great, let's do. So I thought Scott would write the book. Well, as it went down the road, Scott had a vision of a, what I say is a Billy Bob book, a story of, about the life of a shrimper, you know, kind of like a Forrest Gump kind of okay, thing or whatever. Yeah. I had a vision of getting the history, the real stuff, what it, what it's really about, who was in it, when. I know what, what it took to make a history. But at this point, I have no idea of writing the book. My job, and I had told everybody up front, I said, listen, I can best serve this thing by being an interviewer. I said, I know all these guys. I can go to them. I can get their stories you know, what stories they know about them or whatever, and I can bring it back for the writer to turn into a book. Mm-hmm. So that's where all that went. And then as I realized that Scott was looking for an adventure adventure book, so we just gracefully parted company, and we're still yeah. very good friends. So anyhow, yeah, well, then, yeah. then I met Laura, and then the rest is said in, in that um, preface. Laura had problems, health problems and all, and they manifest themselves later. And she died before the book was published. Mm-hmm. So for the people who haven't had the benefit of reading your book and the preface, you you tried for a long time to get someone else to write the book for you. And you oh, fi- absolutely. And you finally met, uh, what is her name, Laura? 
Laura Von Harden. Yeah. 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 And so she agreed to write the book with you, and then she unfortunately passed away. And so you no, were. No, she did not agree to write the book with me. Oh, okay. She agreed to write the book. I wanted to be the interviewer. Okay. I had no idea and intention of writing this book or any book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see it done. I, I yeah. didn't. Yeah. I know it was a good and interesting history. Laura's a great writer. So, un- so unfortunately, uh, Laura passed away then, and so then you were you were yes. left to continue. And really, um, I just needed I needed to get this thing done. Mm-hmm. I was starting to understand more about it. I've been working at it and on it for a year or so now. The idea and didn't even know. I, I, first thing I did was I started going on YouTube. How to write a book? How to get your book published? Most of the stuff I, I I learned on YouTube didn't turn out to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, so knowing the subject and having lived the life, of course, made it easier to write about it. Yeah. So I think all these things helped me in trying to put together a book that might be readable. Well, you and certainly did. That yeah. Probably is fairly interesting. Yeah. You know, it's something that not everyone gets to look into. It really is. So I that, mean, I mean, you really, you really did do a good job making it interesting. And and one of the things that stood out earlier on in in your book, I haven't read the in, in the entire book yet, but mm-hmm. what I've read so far, I mean, it's just a wealth of of information. All of these interesting little tidbits. And one thing that uh, that really stood out to me closer to the beginning, since we're talking about things that are disappearing, is you have a brief section where you wrote about the terrapin industry and that it was mm-hmm. killed by prohibition. And I mean, right. you, you never hear about people eating terrapin anymore, but you say before no, pro- right. prohibition, it was economically, it was much more important than shrimp. That's right. That's it was right. like a really common thing. So you, you wrote, this book is about the shrimping industry in South Carolina. You didn't extend it further no, than that. No, I wrote about the shrimping industry from the day it started. Yeah. But you, I like and there's in one point you say like in 1980, there were 1,502 licensed mm-hmm. shrimp boats in South Carolina, which is the largest number ever. And how many right. are there now? Less than 36. Wow. So why has the industry collapsed? The single biggest reason, if you right there, you called up the South Carolina Department of Wildlife and talked to the head guy and asked him, why did the shrimp industry collapse? He'll tell you, imported shrimp lowered the price to the point it didn't become economically feasible. Mm -hmm. And the price of fuel and everything else went up. The single largest reason that the shrimp industry collapsed is because of other job opportunities. If the men that quit didn't have any other job they could go to, and that's what they did, unless they retired, and everyone everyone can't be old enough to retire. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have jobs on Hilton Head, the Southeast hadn't exploded, mm-hmm. um, they wouldn't have quit. Yeah. If you didn't hardly make any money at all, you would still be doing it if there was not another job to do. If you couldn't do anything but break even and feed your family, that's what you would do. Mm -hmm. It would have 
it would have been right now today if we had no population increase in the southeast that brought all these jobs. Mm -hmm. It would have been just like a traditional fishery in Europe where they did the same thing year after year Mm -hmm. after year. And grandfather, 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 grandfather was a fisherman as far back as you can remember. And they went out every day. They caught a little bit of fish. They came in and they sat there on the edge of their boat until they sold their little fish and made whatever they made and went home. Yeah. You know, but that reason is never, is never written about. So and the I entire didn't really culture has changed. I mean, it's it's not just fuel and I mean the, the whole culture of the area has shifted and and well it's jobs mm-hmm. in, in in relation to the fishermen it's jobs but jobs came with people if we still had two hardware stores in Beaufort no Walmart no Kmart no shopping centers anything else and the father's two sons worked in both the hardware stores and they didn't have a job for you what are you going to do yeah yeah. We only had four men on the sheriff's department. There were no jobs there. We had one little high school. Um, not many shrimpers ever became very well educated, so there was no job there. Yeah. You know, it's right on. That's, that, that was the single biggest reason. Yeah, I mean, which makes me think of maybe the jobs aren't being lost as the culture shifts, but you're losing that, that shrimping can you talk a little bit about the shrimping culture? I mean, because, and, and just the smaller family-owned businesses are, are being lost out to larger corporations. They're gone. Corporations. They, they aren't yeah. being lost out. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what does that do to your area as a whole, you know? When the, when the shrimp dock ceased becoming a shrimp dock, somebody moved in and bought it. Where the packing house was, they built a seafood restaurant. Mm-hmm. Very, very common all up and down the coast. They built a seafood restaurant. The shrimp dock turns into a pleasure boat dock. Mm-hmm. The restaurants are packed. There's sailboats and yachts at the marina. People sit there and look out at the, at the sailboats and charter fishing boats and the tour boat and all of that, just like if they would look at shrimp boats and they eat it and the restaurants are doing great. Yeah. So you see it as a good thing? No, not necessarily. I just, mm. it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's not necessarily a good thing. It is what it is. Yeah. So you talked about collecting the stories of these old fishermen, shrimpers that have been around. Old doing, and young. Old and young. Some guys younger than myself and some yeah. guys older than myself. I just, I would talk and talk and talk. And then some of them, um, the story just didn't ring a bell with me. Mm-hmm. But some of them had things to say, and those are the ones who I wind up putting the story yeah. that they related to me in the book. Is there one that isn't too long that you could tell the listeners, something that stands out in your mind? Most of them. <laughs> some are longer than others, but, but I mean, really, the ones that I put in the book, to me, were not just ones that I liked, but ones that I thought opened a window to people that knew nothing about shrimping and shrimpers. Yeah. And it was a good, interesting story. Can you tell us one? Yeah, yeah. I could tell you one about, well, let me see. There's, God, there's so many of them. But um, Benny in the bank, Benny Hudson, who was a, a longtime fishing industry man, he owned a restaurant, a shrimp dock. He shrimped when he was young, but he quit and 
and, and, and developed a shrimp dock and a shrimping business. Benny lived on Hilton Head, and his, his father lived on Hilton Head before he was born, before there was a bridge or anything. Hmm. So as a young man, Benny had some boats shrimping out of his dock on Hilton Head, and there was no bridge to Hilton Head, so he would have to take his shrimp over to the mainland on a boat and put them on a truck, and the truck would take them to Savannah to this fishmonger over there to sell for him. Mm-hmm. So Benny had given um, Buddy Matthews, L.C. Matthews Company, he had given them some deposit slips on his bank, which was in Savannah. There were no banks on Hilton Head, and this was about 1955 maybe. There were no banks on Hilton Head. So Buddy would sell Benny Shrimp, deposit his money, into Benny's account for him. Benny would go back to the island and he'd come back over there once a week or twice a week, whatever he had to, he would send more shrimp over there. There was not a population on Hilton Head that could consume any shrimp. The locals went out and just caught their own. They cast yeah, them. Yeah. So Benny was in Savannah one day and he went to his bank and when he looked at his account, he had a, a lot more money in his account than he realized so he took the money out and went back to the island with his money. So the next time he brought shrimp into Buddy Matthews, Buddy said, Benny, there's, there's been a problem with my account. And I told the bank about it, and they found out the problem. And the problem was we had, the secretary had been using our deposit slip, your deposit slip for our daily receipts. Now, this is a big fishing outfit. He's turning uh-huh. thousands of dollars a day. Well, when Benny had been to the bank, before he had been to the bank that day, he had asked them for a loan. He wanted to buy a shrimp boat. Now, here comes this one step up from the hillbilly off of Hilton Head Island. Well, nothing was worth anything. Lambs were worth pennies, you know, pennies. Mm-hmm. Wanting to buy a shrimp boat with no telephone, no bank, no way to get in touch with anything, and they turned him down. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, when he found out all that, that money in his account, he took the money out. Mm-hmm. Then when Buddy told him about the problem, and Buddy also told him, Benny, he said, I'm not going to come after you about this money. He said, you and I have done business for years, and your father and my father did business for years. So I'm not worried about losing my money. That's the bank's problem. So Benny went back to the island, and they couldn't call him or anything because mm-hmm. no telephone. So then after a few trips back, Benny told Buddy Matthew, he said, Buddy, he says, I've got the bank's money, and I'm going to give it back to him, but on one condition. That banker... That was so rude to me about loaning me money. He's going to have to come out and apologize mm-hmm. to me in front of everyone that he was nasty to me in front of, rude to me in front of, which he did, and Benny gave him the money back. <laughs> and Something another, like that would this, never happen today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, 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 not at all. Huh. But then another little short story about Benny. I'll give you a very short version, but it's still a good story if you understand it. Benny built a railway to haul boats out of the water with over there, a big railway. Hmm. And the first boat that came up there was a steel boat, and this 
guy from Beaufort, good friend of mine, he was a sandblaster. So he came over there to sandblast the bottom of this boat so they could paint it. Mm-hmm. And he relayed this he relayed this story to me. And he said, um, he went over to see Benny because Benny had been sick. Benny had had bacterial meningitis and almost died. Oh, wow. But he, okay. he worked his way to his health. And he, but he was still having problem walking, so he would drive his little tractor around rather than trying to walk. And Benny said he walked over to say hello to Benny. He said, hi, Mr. Benny, how you doing? And Benny said, well, he says, I'm doing fine. But you know something? He said, these people on this island, they come over here. They aren't from here. And he said, and they're rude. He said, I've got two signs. Now, Benny had a big seafood restaurant that he sold. When he sold that restaurant for a lot of money, he moved down the river and bought his old family place on the water, the place where he was raised at. Okay. So anyhow, so and he opened up, he had a protective clause in the sale so he couldn't get back into the restaurant business for like 20 years. So he opened up a furniture store. Hmm. So right on the highway, not far from the restaurant, he had a big sign up there that said, Benny Hudson's Furniture Store. So anyhow, he's telling Webby, Webby, people are coming here all the time. They pull in here, and they ask me where the restaurant is. And he said, I got this damn sign right there that says Benny Hudson Furniture Market. Mm -hmm. But still, they come in here looking for the restaurant. The restaurant was down the road. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know something else, Webby? These people are rude. While they were talking, a carload of ladies pulled up right beside the tractor and Webby and said, um, excuse me, can you tell me where the restaurant is? Benny said, good morning, ladies. She paused a minute and she said, can you tell me where the restaurant is? He said, good morning, ladies. <laughs> she repeated herself. And Benny repeated himself a little bit louder. Good morning, ladies. She repeated herself again and then Benny Spoke in a good, loud voice, said, good morning, ladies. Then the lady didn't answer right away, and that gave Benny the opportunity to say what he was trying to, to let them know about. He said, ma'am, he said, around here, we greet each other properly before we do our business. Hmm. Good morning, ladies. Hmm. And the lady said, good morning. Can you tell me where the restaurant is? <laughs> and Benny said, it's right down the road. Have a nice day. <laughs> the point that they didn't know and they would never understand, but they may now if they were, is local people, the black and the white older people in the country and on Hilton Head, you always start out with, how are you doing? You don't say, hey, I just came over to borrow a shovel. Mm-hmm. You say, good morning, Mrs. Green. How are you doing today? How's everybody? You know, you, you and that's the way you do it locally. And that's the point he was trying to make. Yeah, I guess that brings me to my next question, which is uh, you mentioned some of this earlier in our conversation about, you know, just all the new businesses and things that are coming in that have replaced all the old family businesses. But what else is what? Are the differences now between Beaufort County and Port Royal area, Hilton Head Island from when you were growing up or even into the 70s and 80s compared to what it's like now? 
Well, you know, it was a much smaller town then. Mm. Here, here's a little thing, and you can very well relate to this, knowing Oak Grove and everything, that Beaufort was very much a small town. Now, you had different levels of prosperity and gentry, you may say. Mm-hmm. And anyone like Rocky, Christie's older brother, mm-hmm. I, I was good friends with Rocky. and Christie was too young at the time. But anyhow, anyone, if Rocky said, come on out, we're going to go hunting, and we, we go out there and shoot ducks or shoot deer or whatever, doves, it didn't matter where you were from, what status. Your father could be a painter. You could be have patches on your jeans. That didn't matter. It was how you behaved yourself, what character you carried. Hmm. The social divides did not divide the children. Let me put it that way. Okay. You know, as people got older, they probably stood more in line with their social standing. But nonetheless, hmm. that's always the way it was in Buford. Now, one Buford family, they owned the newspaper, and their child and another kid about the same age were water skiing, and one of them fell out of the boat, and uh, the guy with the boat whose parents owned the newspaper, he ran over him, accidentally, of course, but he ran over, and the propeller cut his foot bad. Mm. I don't know if he lost his foot or not. I just don't even remember. I kind of don't think so. He might have cut him elsewhere. I don't know, but the essence of it is, that the family lost the newspaper and everything they owned over that. And that was a big changing point in Buford. Wow, because he then, sued, sued them or what? Yes, he sued okay. them. Local people did not sue each other. Mm, mm-hmm. That was not something that was done. You know, it, it never happened that I know of that one child got shot by another. That never happened. Mm. But they have, like, Rocky got in a car wreck with Stratty and Billy. Billy came from a poor dirt farm family, and Billy broke his back. Mm-hmm. Never a word was said, never a lawsuit. I was running a boat for Stratty. They lived in a big, one of the big mansions downtown. Mm-hmm. Stratty had a little shrimp boat, and I was running it for him, and, and a block broke on the boat, hit me in the back, and shattered two of my vertebrae. Mm. I went to the hospital, and I've had a bad back all my life, but I've managed to work with it. But nonetheless, there was never even a thought of suing anyone. But that was a changing point in Buford. That's like you asked me, what has changed from then to now? It's a different world now. Okay. You know, yeah. Your child and my child did not grow up playing together. If your son wants to marry my daughter, I know who you are, and I know mm-hmm. who he is. Yeah. And if I have reservations... It's because of that. It's because I know. Now you don't you don't know anything about people. People come to Hilton Head from anywhere, and they become what they want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the changes. And all the other changes. And there's some good changes now. There's some, definitely some good changes. I mean, there's job opportunities for people that never have them, yeah. had them before. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of good changes. And then, you know, of course, we've got a little more crime than we ever had. We have much more traffic than we ever had. Yeah. We have a lot more busybodies that changed the town, and they have sold Beaufort, you know, and made it one of the most popular damn places in the world anymore, mm-hmm. and we've got traffic problems, and we've got, we've got builders that have gotten rich, but also we've just got so many people, and, yeah, you know, just it's just different. 
the common, I feel like that's the common problem that's happened everywhere, gentrification. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So you still live in Beaufort County. You live, you know, Mm -hmm. right up the road from from your dad. And so what are your biggest concerns in regard to the future of the area that you live in? Well, I think, you know, global warming. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The population I have no control over, but global warming is a concern. Yeah. And you live, for the people who are listening, you, you basically, you live on the coast. And so the rising waters is a is a major concern for the area. Well, that, but you know what? Global warming is going to affect a whole lot of people in adverse ways mm-hmm. and some people in, in positive ways. There'll be people mm-hmm. that never could grow certain things that would be able to, mm-hmm. that maybe never had rainfall, and like up and around Alaska, but certain places were iced in year round now to mm-hmm. be able to so it's there's there's you know it's an ill wind that blows no good when a hurricane comes in and blows down houses and every damn thing else well something good comes out of that hmm. it brings things that i don't care for but um also it does bring good what are do you say i would have never been able to have my fish market had had we not had the population on Hilton Head that we had, everybody mm. would be catching their own fish or have friends or cousins that did. Yeah, yeah. You know, then I had a seafood restaurant. I never would have been able to do that yeah. in little old Beaufort. Mm-hmm. Before people started coming in. Well, thank you so much, Woody, for okay. answering my questions. And I always love okay. talking to you. Can I tell you something funny? Please. Well, I took a short creative writing course, mm-hmm. and I came in top of the class. Not something I'm, I'm proud of or ashamed of. It's just how it happened to be because I was the only one in the class. <laughs> now, now here's, here's how it went, and this is the honest-to-God truth. My buddy Skeeter Gardner, you never met Skeeter, best storyteller in Buford, hands down, who I, I credit with almost most of my storytelling ability, because he Mm -hmm. is the best. He was working for me on a big boat that I was running. And we had been out on the boat, and mention of the storm is in the book, but not anything mentioned about this creative writing course I took. But um, we had been out on the boat, and we got in a really bad storm. And it's it's a survival storm. You either make it or you don't, and it was 50-50 each way. The boat was about to roll upside down. It was so rough. I mean, it was terrible. We couldn't get out of the wheelhouse for 18 hours. I mean, water was breaking over the bow. The decks were awash. Three foot of water running over the deck, all white foam. It ripped off the back of the boat and two by fours out of it and everything. I mean, it was terrible. But anyhow, so we survived the story. The story, we survived the storm. And when we got back to the dock in Beaufort, we didn't have the nerve to go back out fishing. Hmm. Now, we were fishing offshore in the ocean, 20, 30, 40 miles offshore. Shrimping is done within two or three miles of the shore. Okay. We would stay out there anywhere from 7 to 10 to 20 days as opposed to shrimping. If the weather starts getting bad, you got an hour and a half run back to the dock, mm-hmm. two-hour run, you know, something like that. So it was a different ball game that we were in. So anyhow... We would take on ice and fuel and get groceries and get ready to go back out and we'd chicken out. And we Mm -hmm. did this for two months we'd been on the boat, not leaving the damn dock. So we're sitting down there 
And we're writing letters to our girlfriend on the boat. And so Peter says, um, what, are you, what are you saying in your letter? I said, let me read it to you. I said, dear Michelle, how are you? Fine, I hope. Now, I'm like 23 years old, and I'm writing like a, a fourth grader. <laughs> very elementary. And I said, what are you writing? He says, dear Liz, it's rough as hell out here. He said, I went to make a sandwich when I opened the cupboard. A four-pound jar of peanut butter came out and hit me in the big toe. And all of a sudden, right then, I said, shit, that's creative writing. Uh We hadn't even left the dock. (laughs) It's a damn lie, but it's a harmless lie, and it's creative. (laughs) So that was my creative writing course. Mm -hmm. And I was writing to my girlfriend, Michelle. She was from California. I met her when she was here in the summer in Beaufort. And as time went by... Skeeter stole my girlfriend and married her. Oh, are you serious? I'm serious. I'm serious. As time went by, Lynn and I got divorced. You know, we were divorced for three years. Yeah. So while we were divorced, well, Skeeter and Michelle had gotten divorced, and I was seeing Michelle. She was... She was coming from Beaufort to Hilton Head. Oh, okay, yeah. You've told me this story, but I want to hear it again. (laughs) (laughs) And when I told Skeeter, when we were sitting there before we started laughing, I said, Skeeter, I said, don't you think you ought to come over here and mow the yard for Michelle? Because, you know, the grass was getting kind of tall. And she said, me mow the damn yard. (laughs) 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 You're already cutting some grass. You ought to be able to cut the damn front yard. (laughs) But anyhow, so we're good friends now. <laughs> and then eventually and, uh, you and Lynn got remarried. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Michelle and Lynn and I are all good friends. Yeah. And Skeeter and I are good friends. And <laughs> that's the, ha- the way it should work. There's a story in the book about Skeeter being arrested by his lifelong friend, Bacote, who had become a game warden. I was living on Hilton Head when this happened. It happened in Beaufort. Now, I got scuttlebutt over there that Bacote had to arrest Skeeter, and he pulled his gun on him. And that's all I heard. And then it just went on by. And that was, this was, you know, that was 15 years before I, or 20 years before I started on this book. And then, mm. then I wanted to get the story straight. So I went to Bacote. He told me the story. And I went to Skeeter, and he told me the story. And then I wrote the story in the book. Mm -hmm. In writing this book, I knew a lot of people don't care about that history, that day-to-day stuff. They're they're not Mm -hmm. going to get through it. And I tell people all the time, if you're trying to read this book and it gets to where, you know, you're just getting, it isn't something you really care about. Mm -hmm. I said, just skip over that and start picking up on the little sidebars Mm -hmm. and the little one-page stories. Yeah. Now, if you're from Buford or you live in Buford, the part about Beaufort very well may interest you. Mm-hmm. The same thing, if you if you live in Port Royal, then what what's written about Port Royal would very well interest you. And the same with Hilton Head. One section is Hilton Head. If you live on Hilton Head and you're from Ohio, what I have to say, what is said in the book about Hilton Head will probably interest you, but maybe not the stuff in Beaufort. So mm-hmm. that's that's the way to read the book. I know that not everyone's going to be interested in that history. So we tried to make it entertaining. What I've read so far is really good. So 
thank you so much for talking to me, okay, and thank yeah. you, and thank you for writing the book. I mean, yeah, that, well, that's even though thank you didn't you. want well, to. <laughs> okay, Jenny. All right, so good to hear your voice, Woody. And, Same and here, kiddo. Hopefully, I tell your kitty that Woo Woo said hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.